Today, though, we are starting a new series called Sent. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember the first time that I was sent, okay? and it was to Burger King. I was in elementary school, and I remember very, very well, I don't know why I remember this very well, but I do, that me and my siblings, I have two uh, siblings, younger sister, younger brother, we were on summer break, and my mom was there with us, she was a stay-at-home mom, God bless her, and she stayed at home, and one of these summer days, my brother was not feeling well, and neither was my mom, and so me and my sister were just chilling, and I remember my mom coming to me, and she's like, you know what? I am having a craving, and the only thing that I want to eat and the only thing that's going to sit well are Burger King fries. Now, I do not know why. I didn't ask her. I didn't question it. But what the first thing that scared the living daylights out of me was walking to Burger King. I'm in elementary school. I remember very much in elementary school, when we would go to the community pool, I would ask my mom, are there going to be people there? And she'd say, yes, I was just scared of people. I was just frightened of people. I pray for my son every day that that's not his personality, right? But as she was talking to me about, like, I want these fries, and I'm asking you to go get them for me so we can come back and all this good stuff, I am, like, freaking out inside. Because first off, it's like I'm walking across parking lot, and I'm going down to a restaurant, and there's people in there that I don't know, and they're scary, and they're adults, and i got to talk to them and order something. It scared the living daylights out of me. But eventually, she kind of pulled out of me, my sister, going to go down to Burger King, and it was just down the hill from our house across the parking lot, and boom, you're there. So it wasn't too far. I remember walking in, and you see the big king, and you see the people, and you're like, what in the world am I doing. It's like the worst nightmare for a kid like me. We're going up and somehow I ordered the fries and somehow I got the fries, got the money and I gave them back to my mom. And I remember that was like the first vivid memory of me being sent on a mission. Now you know this be true, being sent somewhere, being sent on a mission, it elicits different feelings and responses and emotions. If you're like me, you're scared to death. You're like, what is happening? Why am I doing this? What, what in the world is going on? For some of us, it's like, I just can't face the unknown. Like, the unknown scares me. Like, the what if questions. What if? What if? What if? Right? For some of us, we're excited about it. Like, yes, I get to go do something. Yes, I get to fulfill something. Yes, I get to be a part of something. And as followers of Christ, we are all called to this mission. We are all being sent. We're all being sent to fulfill Jesus' mission. But here's the thing. My biggest fear, my biggest fear is this, that being sent or being sent towards the mission, what can get in the way of that oftentimes is boredom. Is boredom. And here's what I mean by that. We know that boredom kind of spans across all of life. I was at Momentum Youth Conference two weeks ago with uh, Josiah Rios, who's here from Barbara Campus, Norton students, County Line students. And after the first night, after the first session, okay, I got together with a small group of guys. We're having kind of a breakout conversation about the sen- session. And one of my students, I loved his honesty, and I loved just kind of like, this is what I'm facing He looked at me after one of the questions I asked, and he said this, right now, Joel, my faith is very bland. That's where I'm at. It's just bland. It's kind of boring. It just kind of is what it is. I show up when I want to. I'm here at Momentum. It just is, right? I remember kind of having this conversation with him, and I feel like even myself, you go through periods where it's just, yep, it just is. I'm a follower of Christ. 
It's cool, right? It just happens. It just, it just is what it is. And we walk through this and we see this, and I said this before, we see this happen through life. Right? We see boredom go throughout life. If you have kids, you've probably been told, I'm bored. Like, I, what, do you want, what do you have for me? I'm bored. I work with middle school students, right? If you don't explain a game well and they don't know the mission toward the game, they're bored. I've had multiple games that have failed because kids are sitting on the side. They're like, I don't care. What do you want me to do? This is weird. This is not right, right? This is boring. And as followers of Christ, you can create this misunderstanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And oftentimes that boredom, what happens in that is it becomes an irrelevance. This mission, this following Jesus is kind of irrelevant. What I mean by that is this boredom can create this understanding that following Jesus is just sitting in a service. It's just sitting in a group. It's just coming to an event, going on a trip, Right? And I'm not knocking those things because we stand up here and we're like, be involved in the service, be involved in groups, whatever it may be. But those things should be something we invest into to follow the calling that Jesus has for our life. Following Jesus is not about sitting around, it's about being sent out. If you saw the quote up here, J.D. Greer is a pastor uh, down in North Carolina. He says it like this, the measure of success for a church is not seeding capacity, but sending capacity. I'll read that again. It's powerful. The measure of success for a church is not seeding capacity, but sending capacity. What happens when we get bored is we just kind of become into the motions. And this following Jesus thing, it just is what we do. And we just go to church once a week and we're involved in this group and that's what it means to follow Jesus. And God would say, no, 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 no. I am a sender who wants my church to be sending. We see that throughout the scriptures. John 17, 18 says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This is Jesus talking. John 20, 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He's like, as I was sent, now I'm sending my disciples and ultimately everyone who says yes to me, I am sending. To quote by Chris Wright, he says this, Jesus did not give a mission to his church. He formed a church for his mission. Without mission, a church is not a church. It is just a group of disobedient Christians hanging out, right? right? There's a mission in place, and the church is called to be sent out to chase it, to go, to fulfill it, to be a part of it. And we should be honored to be a part of that mission. But oftentimes, this life where we go through the motions and the boredom kicks in and like, what do I do next? And what am I about? And what's going to happen? And we miss and lose sight of the mission. To ever get to the mission, though, we need to focus on the motivation. Because when we lose sight of the motivation, the mission becomes irrelevant to us. We're going to look at both. This is what I want to do today. It's the intro to this uh, three-week series. So next two weeks, we're going to dive into it uh, deeper. But this week, what I want to dig into is the motivation and the mission. What is the motivation for the mission and, and why? Like, why are we doing this and how do we do it? That's what I want to look at today. And if you're a follower of Christ, okay, if you're a follower of Christ, I would love for this series to refine and push you. I would love for this series to be something that's kind of like, ooh, it's like you can feel the tension in it. 
It's something that's like, I can't just sit here and not do anything about it. It's, I want to be pushed to go further. If you're not a follower of Christ, and you're sitting there and you're like, so what's in it for me? Why, why should I listen into this series? First off, we're glad you're here. Keep coming. The series will be beneficial in two ways. One is this. You'll get to kind of hear into what we believe and what we're about. Who is Jesus? What is he all about? We're going to dive into the Word of God to see that. And then second is this. I want you to kind of see how we talk about sharing our faith. I want you to engage with what does that look like? What, what do we do as a grace church, right? Multiple other churches are doing things that we're doing to share our faith, to see others come to know the Jesus we believe in and we're all about. We're going to turn to a passage, Matthew 4, to be on the screen, okay? That's kind of setting the stage. That's kind of setting the stage. We're going to be in this passage. We're going to jump around to a bunch of different other passages, but if you lock in there, we'll come back to it. Let me give you some context to Matthew 4. What's happening here is uh, before this particular passage, we see that Jesus was baptized. This is kind of a monumental moment where we see the Trinity, the, the, the God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit all in the picture of baptism. And then right after Jesus gets baptized, this really neat moment, triumphal moment, he's led out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Can you imagine that? That's like the most epic duel of all mankind, right? Like, could ever imagine that's the duel, right? That's like the, the nemesis of what we would imagine God and went in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted by Satan. And then we see this passage come around. We see that Jesus is calling his first disciples. Matthew 4, 18 through 22, this is what it says. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. So we see there's two characters already, right? We see Peter, his brother Andrew, and they are guys on a daily basis. They are fishing. That's their business. That's their livelihood. That's what they do to get money. Verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, we're going to stop there. Because if you're like me, a little inquisitive, kind of like, what is going on? I ask a lot of questions. What in the world would possess you to follow someone from the shore that says, come follow me? Just drop everything. That's my question. I'm like, what? How? Right? Like, I don't know if I would personally do that. Like, someone's like, come follow me. I'm like, you're going to have to show me more than that. Like, you're going to have to give me your background a little bit here. And so if you look in the scriptures, there's parallel passages to this that bring some more color to what's going on. Luke 5 gives a great picture of what's happening, a fuller picture of what's happening in this passage. And then John 1 also gives kind of some background leading into what we see here. Peter and Andrew, they've, they know about Jesus. Andrew's met Jesus before. Like, they've had this interaction before. It's not like Jesus is a total stranger, come follow me, and they follow and drop everything, right? They have had interactions before, but it's powerful, as we'll see later, what takes place here. If you go on to verse 21, 22, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is where we're going to start. We see first in this passage that Jesus interacts with them by inviting them. 
There is an invitation to follow. Come with me. Come follow me. And that's where we're going to start. We're going to start today with the motivation. If you're writing down your notes, I'd write down this. Jesus was sent to save us. That is the motivation. Jesus was sent to save us. Everything that we believe hinges on the point that Jesus came to save us. Everything does. It rises and falls on this claim. Jesus was sent to save us. He invites in this passage four men to join him. He invites them to come follow him, come learn, come be a part of what I'm doing. And this is the first invitation that he throws out to us. To say yes to me. Say yes to me. That's what I'm inviting you into, a relationship. John 3, 16 and 17 say this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We need to start here because this is the crux, this is the foundation of the whole series. We need to start here because this is the motivation behind the whole series. And I believe that the word sense, in this context especially, has a deep meaning of love attached to it. That's just something I, I believe as I read this. That God sent his only son for us. The act of sending should elicit in us this amazing, profound, unbelievable understanding of how much God loves us. That God sent his one and only son to this earth. Listen, you, like we said before, this earth is not pristine and awesome all the time. There's messiness, there's darkness, there's sin throughout. There's sinners like you and me throughout this earth. And God said, I'm going to send my only son to live on that earth, to grow up, to have a ministry there, to interact with all the messiness so that people will see who I am. God sent his one and only son to live the perfect life that you and me could not live. There's a lot of weight on that. I'm going to live this perfect life and I'm going to show you what the mission is because we could not do that. And ultimately, he sent his one, God sent his one and only son to die on a cross for our sins. He died on a cross for our sins that we could not pay ourselves. We couldn't do enough good. We couldn't be moral enough. We couldn't come to church enough to pay for our sins. And that's God and his love sending his son for us. That should blow our minds. That should absolutely blow our minds. And I know God's mercy, compassion, and love is sent through sending his son. Like we feel it through sending his son. And I believe there's no other belief system that would have this claim and this power behind it. It's crazy if you think about it. The God that we serve would come down in flesh and live on this earth with us so that he could die the death that we deserve so that we could live the life that he has. That should blow our minds. And we see that throughout John 3.16, Luke 19, Matthew 4. It's throughout the Gospels. It's throughout the Word of God. Jesus was sent to save us from our sins because we are all sinners. If we believe in him, if we say yes to him, two things. One, we get eternal life. 
right? I tell my students we get to party up in heaven with God. We get to praise him. The second thing is this. I think we miss this oftentimes, and this is uh, where the second portion where we're going at really kicks in. We have purpose and meaning on this earth. Like a lot of times we just say, we're like, cool, I'm saved, and that's great, and yet we have a purpose, mission, meaning to living this life. So there's a point of decision where we can talk about this, that Jesus was sent to save us, and yet it should elicit a decision within side of us. First one is this. For some of us, we've never said yes to Jesus. Today maybe be the day that you say yes to Jesus. Maybe that's the decision you need to come to. Maybe that's the decision that God is kind of wrestling in your heart, that you know that you're a sinner and that the only way, the only way to heaven, the only way to purpose and meaning is through Jesus. And for you today, that's saying yes to Jesus. And my dad uses this illustration. Just imagine you're sitting on your porch drinking a cup of coffee and an ambulance comes down your driveway, right? You gotta, my parents have a decently long driveway and so you see this ambulance come down you're like, what in the world's going on? They pop out of the ambulance, they come up to you and say, we're here. You're like, great, what are you here for, right? What in the world are you here for? It doesn't make sense. They're like, well, didn't you call or aren't we here for you, right? And you're like, well, um, there's nothing major, but maybe you could work on the love handles or maybe you could work on the stomach a little bit or I got some joint pain, right? That'd be silly. You just kind of cosmetically work, like, come on, help me out a little bit here. But it'd be a very different situation if the ambulance is coming down your driveway and you can't breathe or you're having a heart attack or something major is happening. Jesus did not come to help us refine our morality He did not come so that we could just be better people. He came because we were dying of our sins. He came to save us and to give us life. That's where some of us need to start is saying yes to Jesus. For others of us, you've said yes to Jesus, and the decision point is saying, I want to follow and say yes to Jesus every day. Like I had this big moment, this big staple in my life, and now I need to follow Jesus and what that actually means. We talked about the boredom piece at the beginning, right? Some of us are just bored and we're just sitting there and we're like, it is what it is, right? I come to church, I do what I need to do, and then I go on with the rest of my life throughout the week and I come back kind of bored with this whole thing. For others of us, it's this following Jesus thing is confusing. Like, what does that entail? I'm not sure what that means. I love stats, and so I found this very intriguing to me. I think today uh, followers of Christ are more confused than ever on what it means to follow Jesus. Statistically, there's an article, uh, the Barna Group, they're called, did this research on um, Gen Z all the way up to what they would tag as the group as elders, okay? If you're an elder in here, I'm not making fun of you. It's just what they tag the group. And so they did this statistic on evangelism, on sharing your faith. And this is what it came out to be. Roughly 50% of millennials, that's my age group, okay? That's kind of the generation I'm in believe it is wrong to share their faith. That is, that is Christ-following millennials. Those are, those are like students, those are people my age that would say, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus. Like the good news of Jesus is great. Church is a good thing, it's awesome. But I think it's wrong to share my faith with others from a different faith. Roughly 50% of elders, okay, you're 70, 80, 90 years old roughly, do not feel gifted in sharing their faith. They would say, no, 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 I don't, 
I'm not gifted in that, and so maybe I won't partake in it. I don't know how to do it. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm not picking on a generation. I'm not picking on an age group. I'm just showing that statistically, I think our culture and people today are confused on what it means to follow Jesus. And so we have these responses, well, it's wrong. Or I'm not gifted, so I'm not going to go there. Right? Following Jesus continually looks at the motivation, what Jesus did for us to live out the mission. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We have this imploring, compelling, the motivation for the mission should compel us to share about who saved us. So how do we live that out? How do we live that out? What does it look like to follow Jesus by being sent? We're going to go back to Matthew 4, 18 through 22. So if you're there, you're already ahead of the game. You see two sets of brothers have this interaction with Jesus. Powerful moment. Both fishing. Jesus like, come follow me. Leave everything. They come and follow Jesus. This is what it says in verse 19 and 20. To go over that again. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. There's the mission. At once they left their nets and followed him. Here's the big point if you're writing down notes. Jesus saves us to send us. That is the mission. Jesus saves us to send us. That is the mission. He calls men to follow him, but he also calls men and women to be sent, to go, to fulfill the mission that he has laid out for us. It's interesting. It's interesting. There's a lot of different components to his understanding of being sent. He says, I'm going to send you out to be fishers of men, in some translation, to fish for people. If that's the mission, what is it all about? How do we make sense of it, right? Kind of seems like an illustrative point. You're like, what in, the world, what in the world does he want us to do? There's three points I want to flesh out in this, and then we're going to go into some ap- application. Because I believe if we don't leave with application, right, all this will kind of be overwhelming and confusing. That's how I face conversations like this, okay? And so the first thing is this. What is Jesus saying in this passage? We are sent to evangelize. We are sent to evangelize. That's a big word. If you're a follower of Christ, that can be a scary word, right? Conversations or messages I heard about evangelism, it would just make me shake. I'm like, what in the world they asked me to do? But evangelizing means this. means to proclaim the good news. The good news about what? Specifically, if you're a follower of Christ, it's about Jesus. But evangelize was a word that was used across the world, right, to just share good news. And we use it to share the good news of Jesus. What Jesus is saying, he's talking to fishermen, and he's saying, I want you to fish for people. I want you to cast your nets as far and wide as you can. Like, I want you to be out on the boat, and I just want you to keep throwing out. I want you to catch people with the gospel and bring them back in. I want to throw net out, bring them back in, right? It's this imagery of what these guys were actually doing, and that's what he calls us to do. He's like, in your life, you need to give it away, we call it here at Grace Church. You need to give the gospel away and invite people to be a part of what's going on. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, so it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Mark 16.15 says this, And then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. 
Tony Lavigny is uh, the campus pastor at Medina East, and this is how uh, he says it. Jesus is personal, but not private. Listen, we have an identity now that we have said yes to Jesus. We are ambassadors. We should be honored to be called ambassadors, to be a part of the family of Jesus. And he gives us a title and a mission. He says, we want to implore others on the love that you've experienced. Like there's this motivating factor to run after other people. You're an ambassador for me now. So this should be a daily identity that you have on you no matter where you're at where you're interacting. Go into all the world. That's the first thing. We are sent to evangelize. The second thing is this. We are sent to people. We are sent to people. You're like, duh, Joel. Said it in the passage, right? Should be a no-brainer. Makes sense, right? We're fishing for people. That's what Jesus said. This is what I mean by it. We're sent to all people for every one. We were just away with my family this past week. Uh, Monday through Wednesday, we went up to Lake Erie for vacation, uh, just a little getaway. My parents were there, my siblings, me and my wife, and my son were there, and so we had a great time. The weather was fantastic, and the first night we went out, we were right near the lake, and so there was like a boardwalk we could walk down, and we were walking down it, and I was towards kind of the back of the, the group. My dad was up front, and there was this guy sitting on one of the benches kind of near uh, where the boardwalk was, and I heard him say something to my dad and to those who were uh, up front, and I couldn't tell, but my dad walked over and started to have a conversation with him. And this is what blew my mind, because nat- <laughs> I'm built this way, personality. I'm like, I'll just walk by, right? Say, nope, it's whatever, I'll just walk by. Or sometimes you're like, well, I got to kind of get in this conversation, I guess, because, you know, they're conversing with me, and, but I'm on vacation, so I'd rather be with my family. And so all these things go through my mind, right? My dad walks over, and in uh, only the way that my dad could do it, has this full-on conversation with this guy that's going through a hard time. He's going through some ups and downs of life, and currently it was down really, really, really bad. My dad looked at him in the face and had this conversation. And it was fascinating as I listened to my dad have this conversation. One of the things he asked is, do you know who Jesus is? Do you believe in God? He has never met this guy before. He just knew this guy was not having a good, good week, good month, whatever it may be. And he had this conversation. And what it made me realize, it's not like this guy got saved and, or healed or everything was better. What I realized is my dad was willing to engage with people, no matter who they are. It might sound like a no-brainer to us, but I think that we're bent to go to people that are easy to talk to, that we're close to, that look like us, that sound like us, that are us, whatever it may be. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 this net that you're casting is everybody. Anybody and everybody. It's not like the fishermen were going after specific fish. They were just throwing it out. Anybody, like any fish they could grab in, and that's how we cast our nets. In 1 John 2.2, it says this, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world, the whole world. He came to die for the whole world. So that means that the thousands, millions, billions of people that have not said yes to Jesus, that have not been introduced to Jesus, it includes them. So when he's talking about people, it's everybody. When he's talking about evangelism, that's sharing the good news. And then lastly, we are sent out of our comfort zone. We are sent out of our comfort zone. Okay, this one's a personal one to me, okay? I wrote this uh, down, this point down, because I'm like, this is something that I face 
deeply every single day. We are people that love comforts. I, I think one is because we live in a beautiful country that has a lot of comforts. I think just as people, we like to be in comfortable situations, right? We don't like uncomfortable situations. But if you notice in the passage, what both sets of the brothers did is when Jesus said, come follow me, I will send you out to be fishers of men. They left everything that was comfortable to them to go to something that was very, very opposite of what their culture was all about. They left the fishing boat. They left their job. The, the two brothers left their father. They probably left the town they were in. They traveled around. They left everything that was comfortable to go and follow Jesus. When you truly follow Jesus, it will be very uncomfortable. It will be. It's really hard. And it's something I've got to tell myself every morning. It's like walking across the street to that neighbor right, or interacting with those people. It's going to be an uncomfortable situation. It's just what it is. We see that not only uncomfortability comes into this, but there's a fear that takes place. I'm a, I'm a what-if guy. I'm like, yes, Jesus, but what if? Or yes, what if that? Or what if they respond like this? Or what if they spit my face, right? That'd be crazy. What, what if? So I draw up all these fears inside of me, and we can draw up these fears, and we're like, I don't know. Fishing for people, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe come with these excuses. It's fascinating because I think Jesus knew this was going to be a point of tension for us, right? He knows this really well. God knows this really well. Do not fear. The statement, do not fear, those three words, is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. I think God knows us. He wrote that in there specifically, probably for us to hear that today, that there is a promise connected that I am present with you. There's also another promise in Matthew 10, 19 through 20. It's not on the screen, but it says this, that time you will be given what to say, this is Jesus talking, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. We have a confidence in who God is and the promises he lays out, that he's there with us, do not fear. He says, I'm actually speaking through you. It's not your gifts and talents that you think are saving people and you think that you're doing this amazing thing. Like, don't fear, like, I, I got you. It's like, I'm here with you and I'm speaking through you. There's a confidence we can have in God. Robert Coleman, the master plan of evangelism, he wrote that book. He puts it this way. Christian disciples are sent men and women, sent out in the same work of world, uh, world evangelism to which the Lord was sent and for which he gave his life. Evangelism is not an optional accessory to our life. It is the heartbeat of all that we are called to be and do. Listen, I think this is a powerful way to kind of sum up what uh, the passage is talking about, the points that we're talking about. It is not uh, an optional accessory. Now listen, this is kind of a side note. This is for free, okay? That what I face often is I tell myself, well, Joel, you're not gifted in evangelism, right? So maybe it's not something that you have to partake in all the time. Now listen, you might be in that boat where maybe evangelism is not on the uh, highest ranking of your spiritual gifts. It may not be your most, uh, the thing you want to do most or the thing that you're most talented at, but each and every follower of Jesus is called to evangelism. It's not an option. It's not an option. We don't live this life just to be saved and to sit in our chairs and be like, I got eternal life. We're good. We're set. That's cool. No, he says, I'm sending you. That's what you're called to. That's why you're here. 
And so like Robert Coleman said, it's not just an accessory we can tag on if we're really gifted or we're really good or whatever it may be. I struggle with this. Something that we have to push ourselves and say, we are made for this. This is what followers of Christ are sent to do. So how do we do that? The last few minutes here, how in the world do we make this applicable and livable? Because when I hear messages like this, I freak out. I'm like, what are they telling me to do? Just go to everybody? What am I supposed to do? Go to that guy, this girl. Where am I supposed to go from here? Here's the first thing. I'd write this down. Pray for your three. Pray for your three. You might have heard this lingo before, maybe not. But basically what this means is you're praying for three people in your life that you have a relationship with. Okay, think of someone not, I tell my students all the time, not the kid that picks his nose in the corner, like be friendly to him, like invite him into your circle. But think of the three closest people to you that do not know Jesus. Three people in your life, whether it's a relative, a friend, or maybe it's a neighbor that you have, coworker, that you know has not said yes to Jesus that you would love to see come know Jesus. That you would love to see say yes to Jesus that you can start praying for on a daily basis. Like praying for what? Praying that their hearts would be turned and their hearts would be changed and their hearts would be kind of struck with the power of the gospel and they would say yes to Jesus. To pray that you would gain a passion to interact with them and a passion to see them come to say yes to Jesus. To pray for the confidence and boldness to share the good news of Jesus with them, to pray for opportunities to just interact with them. Pray, God, I hope I get to see them this week and we get to talk and just get to know each other a little bit better. Just praying for those opportunities to take place, right? Praying is severely important to start with. It should be our first response, not our last resort. We have a staff creed that says we're gonna kneel first, that in everything we do, we pray to start we don't pray to finish. It's not like, whoop, we did it. Okay, let's pray to God. It's like we pray because God is in everything we do. He is the power befi- behind all of what we do. And so we enter God's presence. We say, God, you have this. God, this is yours. God, this is what it's all about, and I want you to change. I want you to, to sh- like, just give the gospel to them. Maybe it's through me. Maybe it's through others, whatever it may be. Help them say yes to Jesus. Today, we actually uh, have these wristbands in the back. They're free. They have a nice little Grace Church logo on the, the front, on the outside. But on the inside, if you flip it, it says, pray for your three. It's just a reminder. Cool wristbands, reminder, right? For you as you walk daily to either look at this, wear this, put this somewhere that you'll see it every day, that you can be reminded to pray for your three. It's on a round table back there in the basket. Just grab one, grab a couple for your family members, whatever it may be. It's just a way to say, how can we remember daily to be very, 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 very attentive to those three people in my life? Three people that you hang out with. The second thing is this. Gospel demonstration and, not or, and gospel declaration. There's this quote, famously, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Bogus. Absolute bogus. You need words to express and share the gospel. Yes, gospel demonstration, you need to live following Jesus. Like People need to see you and be like, 
There's something different about them. They're kind, they're loving, they're willing to serve, they have grace and mercy, they're forgiving, right? Whatever it may be, you're living in a demonstrative way to say, this is how Jesus has changed me, but you're also declaring the gospel to others. You're speaking it into others. You're sharing the good news verbally. There needs to be a both, both aspects, right? It's more powerful to have a gospel conversation than a gospel presentation, some of you might have experienced that, where you're like, this is just awkward. I, I don't know if I want to say yes to this. They're just presenting this memorized script to me. Hop into a conversation with your, one of your three this week. You're like, but I don't, like, how do I bring up the gospel? How do I bring up church? How do I bring up Jesus? This is all confusing. Just start by asking questions. That's what I do. That's what I do. I just ask a lot of questions to get to know the person. Ask them about life. Do they like this? Do they not like this? What do they do for a living? How, how long have they been married? Whatever it may be. Kids, just get into a conversation. Things that you don't know about, maybe one year three, that you want to get to know. Ask a lot of questions. And then start asking about maybe where they're at spiritually. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about church? Have you ever been a part of a church? They sound scary. When you ask the question, people are generally responsive to that. They're, they're generally responsive to that. And you start to understand the context of who you are interacting with so that when Jesus opens the opportunity where you can speak the gospel into their life, you take it. It's not just like, oh, here it is. And it's just kind of awkward. You're like, it's like building the conversation. Personal transformation trumps gospel presentation. Make, make the person want to spend time with you. Don't, don't make it like, ooh, here comes so-and-so. Oh boy, we're getting the church talk again. Make them want to come over for a barbecue. Make them want to go out to play golf with you. Make them want to come over and bring their kids and hang out with your kids. Make them want to go out to eat with you and your spouse, whatever it is. Like, like let them enjoy being with you so that you have opportunities to share the gospel. When you get that opportunity, share the good news of your story, what Jesus has done in your life. And then lastly, lastly is this, patience in the process. This is an important one. Patience in the process. This sharing your faith, evangelism, praying for your three, it's a process that we need to be patient throughout. One of my three is a a neighbor of mine, about 81 years old, and he is hilarious. I love having conversations with him, right? Every time I ask him, how you doing? He's like, terrible. Like, you're not doing terrible. You're just lying to me, right? We have a good time. We compete in, like, mowing each other, our, our lawns first so that their lawn looks bad, whatever it is. But I, in... In this relationship, patience has been throughout. I love him dearly. I remember one of the first conversations I had, I told him I worked at Grace, and it's always an interesting, like, opening line. Like, I work at a church, and he's like, that's cool. And I remember we got in the conversation, he's like, here's the thing. You believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. He did not have a good church experience uh, early in his life. He didn't have a good church experience. He's like, that's just it is what it is. I just don't talk about it. If you want to share with me what's going on at church, that's fine. It is what it is. I remember there was this one day in December, uh, either this last December or two Decembers ago, I got a note or a letter that was his name but my address. And so I knew it was wrong. So I walked over to him and I said, hey, I think this is for you. And he uh, took it from me and he said, I know what this is for. I said, what? He said, I had a relative commit suicide earlier this week. I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, and I talked to him about the situation, what's going on, and I never thought this would happen, but I hugged him, and I said, I'm praying for you, and we're right next door if you need anything. 
listen, he has not said yes to Jesus yet. He has not given his life to Jesus. He has not, you know, gotten on his knees and professed it. He's not there. But God has opened up opportunities. Now listen, I don't know what God's plan is. And for some of us, the patience could be an hour, and you're like, wow, that was awesome. God worked in a lot of ways. The patience could be 80 years. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But being patient and trusting in God. That's why we start with prayer. That's why you ask questions and build conversation, relationship. That's why you invite them to things that happens here at Grace. Maybe it's a service event. Maybe it's something that's going on. And then you learn to share your story. You learn to share your story because the most powerful thing is not me going out, a pastor going out and, and getting thousands of people and blah, blah, blah. It's the personal individual conversations that you will have on a daily, weekly basis that we see gospel transformation happen. My prayer for you this week is that one of your three, if you haven't written them down on you know, your phone or on the paper in front of you, write them down. My prayer for you is this, that not necessarily that you have this big, awestrucken moment, but you just have a simple interaction with one of your three. That God gives you the opportunity to have a 10-minute, 30-minute hour conversation over coffee, maybe it's at work, that you can start to seed in gospel demonstration and gospel declaration in that relationship to see what God can do through your story and through what he's done in your life. Don't forget the motivation that pursues the mission. Why don't we pray together?